Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. I kind of had a moment uh, just a few minutes ago there in my seat. Um, It was a long time that I had to do all of my preaching staring at a camera in my spare bedroom. I kept that up for several months, and for a long time, it's been so good to be back in person. And of course, in terms of mask wearing, it's whatever you're comfortable with. If you prefer to continue wearing it, there's no shame in that. But uh, I got a little teary-eyed thinking, this is the first time in over a year I'll be able to see your faces while I preach to you. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great thing. That's a great thing, and I'm grateful for it. So, um, yeah, just, sorry, I just needed to soak that in for a second. It is really good to see you all. I also, uh, while I'm talking about good news, I wanted to mention something from Buck. Uh, yesterday, Buck was able to baptize a man named Jay Goodwin. This is Terry Durst's uncle, so we celebrate uh, with the Durst family that wonderful news. Um, Uh, Because of Jay's health, it's not likely he'll be able to be with us uh, much in person here at church, but wanted you to know about his commitment of faith. Also, just a neat bit of trivia, a neat family history, Um, his father, Jay's father, John Goodwin, is actually the person who baptized Buck when Buck was 12 years old. So I know for many reasons that had to have been a really special thing for Buck, so we uh, we celebrate uh, with all them. This morning, I'm beginning with you a new study and I've been trying to think for a while how to, how to approach this topic, and I think I'm going to do it this way and say that there are a lot of people in the world who have what I'm going to call a Peter Pan problem. And I don't mean that in the sense that you've got these random people who show up at your window at night to bother you, but what I mean is this, this attitude that Peter Pan had that in various ways a lot of people struggle with it. If you know anything about Peter Pan, what's the song? You could finish the verse for me. I won't. That's right. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to do things that are hard. I don't want to have to face reality. Where does he like to keep living? He keeps living in Never Never Land. Now, I've had a lot of people refer to South Texas as Manana Land. You know, I'll always put that off until later, but Manana is different than Never and he's saying, there's a lot of things I'm never going to do. And so he's just remained a boy, hasn't he? He's remained a boy who refused to become a man. And uh, there's a lot of interesting things built into this story. For example, you've got that crocodile with the clock in it. You know, this agent of death and destruction, this fearful huge thing, always seeking out who it can devour with that never-ending tick-tock, reminding us that the clock is ticking. You only have so long to keep at this before eventually you have to make a decision. You have to do something. Interestingly also, he somehow managed to be totally detached from his shadow. I mean, how does that even happen? But do you know any people who have some darkness and some hard things in their life that they've allowed themselves to just kind of glaze over and not confront, not deal with, not face? He's detached from any darkness that would naturally be connected to his life. So this is not just a problem for young people who need to mature, young people who need to grow up. 
It's also a problem that many of us, as we get older, need to be brave. We need to face the things that we've been putting off. We need to step up to the challenges that God has given us and quit avoiding them. And so we're going to do a study together on Abraham. I'm going to begin in Genesis chapter 11. Very often when we start with Abraham, everyone would tell you his story starts in chapter 12. Well, that's where the interesting part of the story starts. But you've got to look at the end of Genesis chapter 11 to see the background of this guy. So Terah is his father. It says in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. There's some interesting subtle details in that story. Where were they supposed to be going? We don't know why they set out for Canaan, but Canaan was the intended destination. So they set out for Canaan, and they got distracted, and for whatever reason, they stop there in Haran, and what's the story of Abram's father, Terah? He's a guy who set out on a journey that he never finished. He just stopped some point along the way, and he died there. I always wonder, like, if this is a guy who had a garage, what would his garage be like? Did he have a bunch of projects in it that he kind of halfway started and just left laying there, piling up and scooting over to the side, but never actually completing anything he set out to do? I don't know. I'm just reading that into the text. But here's a guy who set out on a grand adventure with his son and his daughter-in-law and his grandson, and he just kind of fizzled out and stopped. Sarai, Abram's wife, is unable to conceive. Abram doesn't have any children. And at this point in time in the story, where we encounter Abram in chapter 12, he is 75 years old, still living in his dad's house. Now, I know a lot of people like to complain about millennials in their 30s. Millennials haven't got anything on Abram. 75 years old, still living in his dad's house. Now, being sensitive to cultural backgrounds, it's, it's quite likely that that's a much more normal thing to do. You tended to stay with your family's household. But, but just the same, I kind of want to run with that lazy angle on Abram. 75 years old. And so we get to Genesis chapter 11. We've had these magnificent stories of creation, and there's Noah and the flood, and there's Babel and the spreading out of humanity. And then you get to the end of chapter 11 in what should be, you know, kind of like the rocket ship point for things to, to boost into orbit. Instead, the future so far has basically been like something stillborn. It gets up to this point and everything just fizzles. It doesn't produce anything. Human history up to this point has led only to barrenness, moral barrenness, Abram's family that we know to be now a family of promise after chapter 12, but he has no children, no future prospects. And we're reminded with the story of Terah's family 
that on our own, there is no human power to create God's preferred future for us. All the things that God wanted to see happen through Abram's family weren't going to happen just by human means because they hadn't happened and they couldn't happen. And it's when he is 75 years old that God shows up to Abram and kind of hints at, you know, Abram, what if you actually did something with yourself? What a starting point. 75 years old, I can just imagine the excuses he could have produced. Well, you know, I'm already established here, and I got all my stuff here, and we are already so settled in, and it's too hard to start over again, but God's not really phased by that at all. So I've decided to title this series, Late Bloomer. I'm really encouraged by that thought because if Abraham, you know, Scripture holds him up as like the father of faith, right? He's the ultimate example of faith, of someone we should try to be like, and he didn't seem to get much right until after he was even 75. That's encouraging to me. How many times have I intended to do better or I look back at myself and say, I intended to do a lot more by now, and then rather than just kind of fold my hands and quit, God shows up to Abram and says, you haven't even started yet, and there's no reason to hold back. I don't care if you're 75. All the good stuff for Abram was still ahead for him. And so I'm calling him the late bloomer. Now, maybe it's the case that Abram was this awesome person of faith. We don't know what he was like before Genesis 12. Maybe he was just this awesome stallion of faith just waiting for someone to open the gate so he could go riding triumphantly into faithfulness. But we don't know for sure that he wasn't just some fat guy sitting on dad's couch eating Cheetos off his chest. Like, you really don't know. You don't know what this guy was like. But when God gave him an invite, praise God, he decided it was about time to start doing something. God opened the door, and he decided to take God's hand and to walk through that door. Up until this point, Abram's family just got to kind of a halfway point, and they fizzled out. They didn't finish the mission they set out on. There wasn't really much to speak of in terms of a family line. His brother was dead He had a nephew around, but there wasn't much to the family of Terah, not much promise, but also no real ties to the place they were living. I do kind of wonder, how much did Abram really like his life there in Haran? When we see things in the world that we don't care for, when we see a situation that we're in and we don't like it, the world tends to give us one of two different options for how they, the world says we ought to think about it. Uh, one option would be to take this sense of enormous self-pride, that we would look at ourselves with a source of deep pride and take this thoroughly humanistic view of the world and what we believe we're capable of, that I'm going to kind of you know, grab life by the horns and I'm going to summon myself and I'm going to get it all done myself. I can accomplish all things. Um, you know, coming out of the, the Enlightenment historically, you know, America is really built on optimism. There is so much good we're capable of doing if we kind of summon the best part of ourselves. But isn't it also the case that despite all of our best intentions, not everything goes perfectly? No society achieves perfection. No family achieves perfection where there aren't also a few warts along the way that we wish hadn't happened or wish we could somehow make disappear or go away. If we have too much pride in ourselves, we forget who created us and who put us here. The other option that many people lean into is deep despair, the view that oppression is forever, 
that corruption is an absolute thing, that no one can be trusted, that all solutions are futile, that there's no point in doing anything, this, this sense of total nihilism that drives some people in our world these days to harm a lot of innocent people just because they believe that nothing has any value or is ultimately going anywhere, and that there is no power strong enough to change our predicament. So whether you take the arrogance route or you take the despair route, both of those don't necessarily lead you to any good place, finally. But in Abram's life, we learn there is another way. There is a third possibility that none of us would have thought about, and it's a possibility that comes along because God invites us into it. Our world is not entrusted solely to humanity to solve or fix everything. The world is not abandoned entirely to despair, but God is still God. The wonderful surprise, the good news of Genesis chapter 12 is that God is still there and God has retained for himself in this world the power to give new life new possibilities. God is the God who makes a way where there is no way. God delights in showing up and in doing these kinds of things. Even when the world is barren, even when our family situation feels like we've hit a wall and it appears that everything is just kind of stuck in the muck, God retains this ability to give new life and grant new possibilities. Into the barrenness of Abraham and Sarai's situation, God speaks and God invites and God blesses. It would seem it was too late. What good can you do with a 75-year-old, you might ask? God says, unlimited good, unlimited good. It would seem there was no way, but God decided to make a way for his family so looking at his situation, I want to read with you again Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is saying to him, your potential is unlimited. The good that I can do in your life and through your life, you can't even imagine how much I could accomplish through you. And so God gives him this wonderful, unprompted promise. God just shows up and makes promises to Abraham, and Abraham has no idea why he's been favored in such a way. But he's going to get to live wherever it is that God guides God doesn't tell him where he's going necessarily, but he says, I'll show you. I'll show you where you're going so you follow me, and you'll know when you get there. He's been promised he'll be fruitful, the father of an enormous nation. God would protect him as he went along the way. He would become the very standard of what it means to be blessed what that means is that people would invoke Abraham as they talk about blessing. They would say to you, man, I hope you get to have a life just like Abraham. May God treat you the same way he treated Abraham. Your name would be the name they will invoke when they want to bless someone. But more than that, all people in the world will be blessed because of you, not just by comparison, but in reality, through your family, all peoples of the world will be blessed. 
It's worth reflecting on what it is that sets Abraham apart. And I'll tell you, as I started doing kind of a deep dive into his life, thinking about some of these lessons I wanted to put together, it isn't the case that Abram got everything right every time. In fact, I was continually kind of shocked by how much stuff he got wrong. What makes him a great figure of faith is not that he just achieved perfection and marched out of the gate winning all the time. He has all kinds of setbacks, confusion, failures, missteps, but the one thing he never stopped doing is that he never stopped turning to God as the single individual in his life that he referred to in all situations. The good stuff, the bad stuff, Abraham returns to God, goes with God, and trusts God. The thing about his faith that's so amazing is not that he got it all right, but that he continued to trust in the good times and the bad times. And as it turns out, that, that price of admission for an incredible life was actually the cost of trusting God no matter what. Some of the times that was really difficult. That shouldn't surprise us because Jesus has taught us the same thing. Mark chapter 8 and verse 35, there's this wonderful mystery of faith that Jesus expresses. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So conventional wisdom around us encourages us to be a lot more like Peter Pan. Don't face the hard stuff. If it's uncomfortable, let's demand that everyone stop doing anything that ever make you uncomfortable. Don't face your challenges. If it hurts, pull back from it. Don't step up against it. Take the easy path. When we talk about commitments, a person will say, well, I just want to kind of float around and have lots of you know, romantic encounters, but I don't want to really commit to any one person because there's this fear that if I actually make my life about something or I commit my life to someone or some group of people and invest, it's like I start kind of giving up some of my other options. All of a sudden, I'm not free to just go anywhere or do anything I please because I've committed to something. And the world says, stay like Peter Pan and keep flying around and don't ever tie, tie yourself down to anything. But what's the truth of that? The truth is that anyone who never ever faces their personal demons, the person who never ever stands up to face the things they're afraid of is not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. In relationships, the person who just adamantly refuses to ever commit to any other people in friendships, in marriages, in anything else, you end up just kind of floating around and eventually you'll learn you have robbed yourself of all the richness that comes from shared meaning in life. The best path to meaning is actually the path of love and commitment and vulnerability and of giving yourself. And so the challenge is to make a decision Accept some limits on your options. And yes, that means that there are some things you're having to say no to, but finally you found something that you really can say yes to. There's the temptation to keep putting off the burden of adventure forever, but then we never become what we were capable of being with the help that God provides. Jesus says, give your life to, to me, give your life to the gospel, and that is, in fact, how you will solidify your life. That's the great mystery of this teaching, that somehow, strangely, in order to find your life, you have to lose it. In order to hang on to it, you've got to give it to something. And only in doing that do we start finding a deeper richness and a sense of purpose and even some identity for ourselves that at least in this part of the world, I mattered. 
I chose to matter. I gave myself to it. I gave it everything that I had. When we accept the burden of an adventurous life, there's also another lesson in Abraham's life that's a hard one, and that is just because God has promised to bless you and just because God has invited you into his life, it in no way guarantees that life won't carry significant difficulty along with it. Now remember, Abraham is the ultimate blessed person, is he not? If you were going to use hashtag blessed for anybody's life, it would be this guy's life because God says so. I'm going to bless him. They're going to invoke him as a blessing. All people will be blessed through him. Well, look at what it means to be God's chosen, specially blessed person. He sets out with God. Almost immediately, he's met with famine. He's met with tyranny in Egypt. He's exiled from his adopted country. He has terrible conflicts over territory with his kinsmen, gets tied up in a war. His nephew gets kidnapped. He has to go in and rescue him. And despite God's promise to make him a huge nation when he was 75, he still goes on many more years childless despite God's promise. And then once his kids get here, he has terrible household conflict. That's what a blessed life looks like. That's a hard thing to process. But maybe it's the case that the families that God blesses the most, the people that God blesses the most are the ones he allows to go through the most difficulties because they learn to trust him the most. When God calls you forward, he calls you directly into challenges because through those things, he's going to shape you and to make you into something better. And in fact, if we're going to take Abram's story seriously, it may just be the case that the times in your life that God is doing the most good in you are the times that it would appear from the outside like you're having the most taken away from you. God works in this counterintuitive fashion. I, I, I fear that this metaphor of turning coal into diamonds may be a bit too hackneyed, but I, I do see a lot of significance in this thought. What is coal after all? It's cheap it's common, it kind of absorbs light, right? It's, it's a dark color, it gets on things. There's a couple of specific purposes it's good for, but mostly, mostly burning, right? Like there's not a lot you can do with coal, but I think we all know eventually coal can become a diamond, can it not? One of the hardest of all materials, one of the most precious and sought after of all things. What's the difference between coal and diamonds? Heat, pressure, and time, right? Same substance, but under heat and pressure and time, something that's really common and not that useful becomes something rare and treasured and valuable. And in fact, something that doesn't only absorb light, but something that can now reflect light in a way that's beautiful and inspiring to those who see it. Heat and pressure and time. If there's anything we're going to learn through Abram's life, it's that as we go through time and endure the heat and the pressure, through these things, if we hold on to God, God can make us into something that is rare and mature and perfected and complete because of the love of Christ at work in us, something that we can feel good about. We can be someone that we're proud to be. The maturity comes from facing those things. 
when we zone in and focus on doing something or having done something that we can really know made a difference. It changes us, and suddenly we feel good about who it is that we are and who it is that we've become. My challenge for all of us this morning is to think about your future self and treat your future self as someone that you really ought to take care of. I would imagine there are several of you already today who could talk about things you did as your past self that are blessing your present self. I would really hope that's the case, that there's some things you look back on and say, that was really hard, but I did it, and I persevered, and we made it through, and I trusted God, and because I did that, I'm a little better than I was. In fact, we can even get to this amazing point where we look at some of the worst things in our life and say, thank God that happened to me because now I've grown through it. I'm something different than I was before. I believe that whether you are five years old or you are 75 years old, it doesn't make any difference to God. I think God intends to continue working in us to shape us into something more, to challenge us to believe that, you know, you might could do something more useful now than you've ever done before because of all the things you've learned and all the things that you've experienced. I wonder even now, think about your life, however old you are, if you could go back to yourself at half the age that you are right now, what would you say to yourself? Aren't there some things, I know there's some things I really wish I could go back to Mark from half my life ago and say, this thing you're so worried about, you really need to let that go. This obsession you have with doing this or proving this or whatever it is, it's not nearly as important as you think it is. But man, if I could go back, I really wish you would spend a little more time on some of this stuff. I wish you would have had a little more faith and a little more courage or a little more belief that God was going to come through for you in these ways. I wonder what your message to yourself would be from half your life ago. Certainly, you must have learned some things since then. I'd like to think that to some degree, we've all come to understand that, you know, your frustrations in life, the things that irritate you, are a door to meaning. Suddenly, it reveals a place where you could matter, where you could do something to make things better. Just the way that you've been blessed by yourself from the past, or unfortunately, perhaps even sometimes cursed by yourself from the past, think about your future self as someone who matters that you really ought to put some effort into taking care of. Do some things your future self can be proud of. Do some things your future self can feel good about. Do some things that will make it a little easier on you down the road because of what your present self is doing because of your future self. Ecclesiastes says there is a time for everything, and I've decided to draw from Ecclesiastes entitling these, these messages about Abraham, but I'm reminded in the beginning of his story that for all of us, you know, there is a time to step out. There is a time to say, enough of this thing I've been sitting in and dwelling in and putting off. There is a time to step out, to face it, to try it, to put myself out there because I don't want to live with the regret of saying that I never really gave it a shot. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you're a person who's made some good decisions along the way, and as you think about your life, you've kind of fizzled somewhere in Haran, and instead of getting all the way to Canaan, you've just kind of stopped along the way and kind of lost track of things. You've gotten busy or distracted, and life got difficult, and maybe for whatever reason you've been kind of holding back. Maybe it's time to start stepping out once again. Or maybe you're the person who's just been putting it off all this time, and and this is a time where you need to step out 
And instead of relying on just pride or despair, you recognize this third path, that it's ultimately God's future that we are trying to live into, and it's God's help that can sustain us and allow us to be a people of hope in the middle of frustration and despair. We have to trust God that he still retains this ability to make new ways and to give new life. This is a time we always set aside in our service where if there's a special need that you have, we want to try and assist you with that. And if we could go to, I think we have a slide with a QR code. Um, We've made this available. If you don't want to respond to us in person, but you've got a prayer request or a news update or anything else, you can take out your phone and use the camera app. If you point the camera at that QR code, it should pull up a little link you can click. And you can just respond to us with a form uh, that'll pop up there uh, on your phone. But if there is someone here this morning or maybe this has been weighing on you and you say it is really time for me to step out and make that commitment or make that change or there's something that we could be praying about for you, encouraging you with, um, we're, we're glad to receive you up here at the front. We'll have some elders also scattered throughout, throughout the auditorium. Whatever your needs are this morning, uh, we're glad to help if you'd let us know how we can while together we stand and sing this song. <laughs>